plan. There you go. It's happening. It's going to be an Aussie accent all the way. All I the don't care way. if you like it or not. I'm going to claim it's from Darwin, from the middle of the outback. I'm from where... You don't know where I'm from, all right? Yeah. I could be from anywhere. You've never been inland. You don't know. Listeners, welcome back to Lost in Postulation. Once again, mixing it up there with the intro. Uh, I'm Neil Fitzpatrick and I am joined once again by a man who is here to repay over two decades of bad Italian accent impersonations. He's a man on a mission and he's here for revenge. It is Nicola Volpi. It's great to be back, Neil. Thank you so much for having me today. And luckily, I know better than to do uh, an insensitive Italian accent here on this podcast or in general. In fact, I feel uh, I feel I've made that mistake too many times. I can barely do one myself, to be honest. It's hard. Like It's hard. It is difficult to do compared to other... Because there's so much content of Italian accents out True. there, right? And you can be very easily accused of going too much into it, of mm. leaning into it too much, right? Yeah. It was huge, actually, in the Chris Pratt Super Mario, you know, casting, where mm. people were wondering, is he going to Is he going to do, gonna it? do it? it? Is he going to lean in? But he did not. He didn't do he it. He did a basic, like, a New York accent, I think. Okay, As like a New York American. second generation you know, uh, A little immigrant. Brooklyn, yeah. you know, throw it in like this. Hey, it's Mario, I'm walking here. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. But uh, well, I always got the, the boppity boopity from, from Family Guy. That was, yeah. what a joke. I mean, that, yeah. that really stood the test of time, yeah. It did, but still it worked. And it, it did because it's, yeah. it's true, no way. Whoa. Hey, show respect. <laughs> you got angry at me last know, week for just mispronouncing Dublin. You got offended. No, I, thought I, I thought I was giving you yeah. some praise for a decent yeah. Dublin. But I've, I do, people throw that one at me a lot here, where they're yeah. like, hey, yeah. Neil, what's it like in <laughs> Dublin? You know, like, they really lean into it. And I'm like, you just say Dublin. It's not like, you, you don't have to go Dublin. You know, we don't all do that. We don't, you know, we don't walk we'll, around we'll saying, we'll swing in your arm, arm in a jolly fashion. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Guarding our lucky charms, etc. And but, your Guinness, uh, your pint of Guinness. That's the number one most common one, actually, that gets thrown. Yeah. It's disrespectful. Uh, in any case, in any case, we are back to postulate once again. And before we get into our big media topic for today, which is, of course, the pop culture culture tier list, mm. uh, we're going to do our usual, which is to check in on a quick mundane. And before we do that, we're going to check in on the socials and how you can find us online. First and foremost, most excitingly, our new Instagram page that is at no, it's not at that is lost in postulation on Instagram. You can easily find us there, growing rapidly at a rate of knots. You can also find us on the Twitter for now. As I keep saying, it is at InPostulation. That is not anything else like Lost in Postulation. It is at InPostulation on yeah. Twitter. And you can also email us as ever. It's lostinpostulation at gmail.com. We love those emails. We sure do. We got a lot of them. We emptied the listener mailbag a bit last time, but uh, I'm sure it's piling up again already. We'll be back. And we threw in, we had our intern who manages our social media accounts throw in a few red herrings onto the Instagram this week and actually kind of tricked some of our listeners uh, in preparation of this very episode. But we'll get into that a bit once we do the pop culture country tier list of this country. We absolutely will. Yeah, no spoilers yet, although I'm sure they've no. read the episode title. Right, but hopefully. In any case, before we do that, let's do a, a random mundane. And as I as I thought of this one, as I as I postulated as to what we could postulate about, I worried that this one might even be too mundane even for us. Oh, wow. Because we're going pretty much maximum mundanity here. That's saying a lot. But I think that's what the people want. So my question to you this time, Nicola, is when you're on the escalator... Are you a walker or are you a stander? Am I going up or am I going down? 
dealer's choice. Does it vary? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think going up, I'm a stander. Going down. Wow, this is so mundane. I actually have to think about it. It's maximum mundane. Going down, I I can be a walker, but I think a lot of it is determined of when am I on this this escalator? Mm. What's the the flow of people? Context. On public transport, I might be more of a walker because there's so, a general buzz and rush. But mm-hmm, in a shopping mm-hmm. center, I'm more of a stander, maybe. So let's say open escalator in front of you, no people, and no time limit. Right? What's your move? No time limit? Yeah, as in you, you don't have anywhere you need to be. You're not like running for something. I'm, I'm chilling. I'm chilling. standing. Yeah. Why not? I'm a bit surprised. Safety first. Is it un- Is it that unsafe? No, I, that's not my actual rationale. I'm just, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're postulating. Postulating. Yeah, but uh, I was surprised because my own policy that I've always had, and it's almost, it's the same policy I have with stairs, is ASAP. Get out of this. Get past this situation ASAP, mm, you know? No. And I, I don't do it if, imagine like it's packed in front of me and there's like two abreast all the way down. Get out of the way! Yeah. I need to go, come on! Like, that's that's not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna show respect in that scenario. But of course, if there's an open escalator in front of me, up, down, you name it. Even a, even a flat one, even a travelator. I'm, uh, well, you're supposed to walk on That one I always walk. Yeah, and I don't like when people don't. I hate it. Because you're, you're offsetting the benefit of the travelator. You might as well just walk yeah. them. I know? actually usually don't take it in yeah, the yeah. airport. Yeah, yeah, I'm on that too, actually, yeah. because you never you never know who's going to be blocking you halfway down, and then you're going to lose time right? rather than gain it. The travelator, yeah. yeah. So you're always moving on the escalator, no matter the direction it's I going. I think so, because hmm. think of the efficiency gains. Like, if you run up an escalator... That's the maximum speed you could ever possibly have ascended. Mm. Higher than, even if you took the stairs, this is higher, you know? Yeah. So I just love that pure, sweet efficiency. But efficiency gains, that's if you have some sort of time constraint or something. Yeah. If I'm in a shopping center with my wife, mm. I'm just trying to buy as much time as possible because oh, really? either I'm standing on the escalator or I'm waiting for her in the store, right? So, so you're enjoying the sweet moments of escalator yeah, bliss. Bliss, exactly. And yeah. escalator freedom in that sense. So I think you're you're... Cracking into an interesting point, which is there's always mitigating circumstances as to Absolutely. why you might want to stand still. And that's why I say the shopping center specifically, whereas on public transport, I'll be moving because mm, mm. I am I need momentum. I'm trying to get somewhere. Yeah. But the well, shopping center, hell on earth for me, Neil. A hundred percent. I can I can well imagine. Oh. It just, I, was, I was reminded when I was thinking about this one of one time I was in good old Brussels airport uh, arriving back in the country, as I often used to do. And I was standing on the escalator and it was packed, like really, really packed. And we were going down to the taxi rank part, the lowest part of the, mm-hmm. of the thing. And sure enough, somebody from behind is like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, pushing past everybody. But that escalator is like 20 steps maybe, you know? Yeah. So they did the whole thing like, sorry, 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 give me a house. Like, they've saved maybe three seconds. Right. And it's like, right. you're getting in a taxi. What's the actual rush here, you know? So me and some of the other travelers on that escalator had a little laugh about it afterwards. We were like, come on, this guy. Saved about yeah. three seconds, you know? Especially with the Brussels traffic uh, that he has to yeah, deal with like, afterwards. Buddy, right? you've got like, bigger problems yeah. than, than escalators. <laughs> exactly. Me. Yeah. Okay. But there you go. It was a quick mundla- mundane yeah. postulation, but I just had to uh, swing that one by you. I'll follow up on that one, though, because I'm actually... Uh, I will observe my behavior tomorrow morning. Exactly. I'm going to the airport, so... I got to get to the subway station. Oh, yeah. There's escalators there. I'm in the airport. So tomorrow's a big escalator day and nice. I'm going to follow the lead of my wife, see what she does because Say now nothing. I'm biased, right? Because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about it. She mm. won't have heard this yet by then. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and we'll take it from there. Fantastic. Well, there you go. That's well, a mundane. On that point, let's take a quick break as we often do and prepare for the big postulation for this episode. Mm. 
listeners, welcome back. Back now with the pop culture country tier list. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you, <laughs> audience. Enthusiasm back there. <laughs> Live yeah. studio audience. Something we haven't done, Neil, in about two months, a bit over two months. Time has flown. Yeah. Yeah. So pop culture country tier list, what are we doing here? Basically, we are looking at every country in the world and objectively scoring and ranking each one based on their pop culture exploits. Absolutely. I like how we change between calling it objective or subjective based on purely what we're feeling at the time. Yeah, and, and or how much we agree with each other or yeah, not. Exactly. Um, so basically what we do, we've done three countries so far. We've done Sweden, Japan and Mexico. You can go back into previous episodes between the months of April and May of 2023 to check those out and we look at countries based on six categories and we score each category up to five points so the categories are music film slash tv literature cuisine sport and then we have a special wild card which we'll get into uh, with this country at the moment the current standings neil are in first place japan with a score of 22.5 out of a possible 30 then Sweden and Mexico tied for second with a very respectable 19.5. High scores all around. High scores all around, very respectable scores. And today, Neil, we're going to take a journey <laughs> so to the land into- down under. All right, mate. Good day, Neil, from G'day. Australia here. Good bloody day. Let's bloody get into it. I'm going to say bloody a lot, I'm, and we need to limit, of and, course. And mate. Yeah, and mate, we need to limit and apologize for the amazingly inaccurate accents we will both be throwing out. That is just what we enjoy. We enjoy it too much. It, it is. It's yeah. kind of like in Talladega Nights. If you say with all due respect, you can say whatever you want. With all due respect, huh? yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Except he was a. Now, with all due respect, ah, oh, one of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ricky. You can't just say whatever you want after you say with all due respect. I need to watch Talladega Nights. <laughs> it seems Will Ferrell. There you go. Uh, not from Australia. Anyways, that's where we're going today. We're very excited about this one. We've been uh, exchanging messages throughout the day uh, in an Australian cadence and accent. Uh, and we're going to rank their pop culture exploits. We've already gotten the listeners a bit involved on mm. our socials in the lead up to this release. Exactly. Uh, at the same time, by the time this is released, we'll be about a week into the Women's World Cup hosted by Australia and New Zealand, their there neighbors, the bloody Kiwis. How about that? Yeah. So it's it's prime time for Australia tourism perspective. It's been open again for you know I guess at least a year, right? For uh, people to go back yeah. and and visit, and a great place, very dear, I think, to both of our hearts. Yeah, in different ways because I've actually never been there. Well, there you go. There but you go. Would you say, regardless of that, excluding Ireland, your favorite English speaking country in the world? Uh. On balance, all things considered, I would probably say yes, I would. Look at that. And it's nothing to do with, you know, oh, it's great to be there because I haven't been there. It's purely because every Australian who I meet out in the wide world is just great. It's their great vibes, great banter. Exactly. Universal to a person. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of love for Australia and lots of love for Australian pop culture, which we'll, of course, be getting into. So from a starting point, very positive, put it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we tricked some of our listeners. We had our aforementioned intern put a few red herrings. The flag of Australia 
a lot of people get it confused mm. with the flag of New Zealand. Those little red stars. Yeah. Yeah. They'll throw people off. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Some are scattered on the Australian flag mm-hmm. where I think they're in a formation on the New Zealand flag, like but in kind a of distance, a diamond. Yeah. I mean, you're, if you're looking at them both from an emoji sized distance, you know, right. really the only giveaway is going to be the, the white versus the red of the stars, right. you know, because that Union Jack, your favorite in the corner yeah. up there. Right. An absolute totes wave. You know? Yeah. Wow. But there, there you go. go. Well, the, Fool, fool us! No, I don't know what I'm, where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Fool on you, listener. Shame on you for falling for our trickery. And welcome to the the next in a series of pop culture culture tier lists. Yes. So the nice thing now is we have three countries to reference against when we're giving our scores for each category. After some postulations, Neil and I each give a score, and then the total score is actually the average of our two. Exactly. Let's get into it. And now, to the tune of Advance Australia Fair, and brought to you by our sponsor, Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, here is our intro to Australia. Australia, officially the Commonwealth of Australia, is a sovereign country comprising the mainland of the Australian continent, the island of Tasmania, and numerous smaller islands. Australia is the largest country by area in Oceania, and the world's sixth largest country. Australia is the oldest, flattest, and driest inhabited continent with the least fertile soils. It is a mega diverse country and its size gives it a wide variety of landscapes and climates with deserts in the center, tropical rainforests in the northeast, tropical savannas in the north, and mountain ranges in the southeast. Australia is a federal parliamentary constitutional monarchy comprising six states and 10 territories. Australia's population of nearly 27 million is highly urbanized and heavily concentrated on the eastern seaboard. Canberra is the nation's capital, while its most populous city and financial center is Sydney. Welcome to Australia. Let's get into it. Neil, of the six categories, which one would you want to start with? I think there is a lot of meat on the film and TV bone. Right. And I like to break the back of these things early on. So let's uh, let's get into that. Should we do it? Film and TV. First thing, Australian cinephiles, they lay claim to the story of the Kelly Gang being the first ever feature film. So I think that's a good place to start. Massive. They claim to have essentially released the first ever movie as yeah. we know it. And uh, of course, you have to make a distinction between inventing something and doing it for the first time, right? Right. And... Are we saying that if the story of the Kelly gang was never made, there would be no such thing as film? Perhaps, or Hollywood or yeah, anything. Perhaps not. However, I do think it's it's admirable that this thing was a monster of its time. It was on analog reels. I, I had to look it up a bit. And it was like a one hour thing, which at the time was unheard of. And uh, just the, the Kelly gang in general is a massively interesting topic. So okay. big shout out for that. I, I fell down an unfortunate Google rabbit hole as I was uh, researching this into the Kelly gang mm. as uh, second generation Irish immigrant, and uh, his exploits were yeah quite something so yeah I love that need to watch the uh, the many Kelly gang films I think there's about 12 or so in total films about Ned Kelly and his and his band of merry men but in any case great that they they got the ball rolling with the first ever feature film absolutely I, I would say a good start by by the Australians there because remember listeners we rate not just in terms of the success of pop culture but also the significance yeah, the uh, uniqueness, to it. The like uniqueness, exactly. Influentialness, all these things. So that's a start. And then what we've done for a lot of other countries so far is we've gone into discussing directors. So yeah. the ones behind the camera making the films. 
from a 21st century perspective, there's no bigger Australian name in the director game than Baz Luhrmann. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now Baz Luhrmann for me, this is funny because this is a bit like when we discuss some of the Mexican directors. He's one of those that all the cinephiles and film nerds will tell you, oh, Baz Luhrmann, oh yeah, great. And he does this and it's different and it's special. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan. Um, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of his films that I've seen could have been done better by another director, keeping it more simple. Ouch. For example, I think Great Gatsby, if you had Marty on that, would have been a totally different film, maybe even better. The mm -hmm. one I liked recently is Elvis. Okay. Uh, but even there, you know, it's it's an interesting way to do a biopic. Uh, also with like his musical choices where all of a sudden you're having like some rap songs from nowadays in a biopic about Elvis, which doesn't make too much sense. It's mm -hmm. kind of taking you out of place. But he's all about the glitz. You're a fan. Yeah, I was, I'm I'm a bit surprised actually because Baz Luhrmann for me occupies a very similar area as someone like Wes Anderson does where it's like mm -hmm. you're going in and you know you're not getting any old thing. You're going to know it's it's him directing, right? And the one that, the introduction that I got to Baz Luhrmann was Romeo and Juliet. His, uh, his amazing adaptation and modernization of the original script of Romeo and Juliet. It's basically word for word, mm. but he's modernized it. In, their swords are, in fact, guns, and all the guns have the word, like, rapier on it, or, like, you know, right. it has brand names on it. Yeah. So, amazing job, I think, by the full cast. Claire Danes, DiCaprio, amazing stuff. And that was my intro where I was like, whoa, films can be like this. They can right. be super weird. At this point, I wouldn't have seen that many weird stuff. Right. I was we like, saw it in school when doing yeah, Roman Julia. exactly. Yeah. And probably at the time, didn't appreciate it as much as I now do as well, you know, because mm. I was still in that early Shakespeare stage of like, oh, this is weird. But I think I have massive respect for Baz Luhrmann because of that. And then I'm actually very inexperienced with, with the rest of his back catalogue. So some of those critiques you were leveling, things like uh, Grace Gatsby, Elvis, haven't seen. No, I so, think yeah. with Great Gatsby, it's difficult because it is one of the, it is like the epitome of the great American novel, mm. right? From mm. its time, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I don't think his approach of how to go about that movie, I don't want to spoil it for you, but mm. I don't think that was the best way to, to go okay. about it. At, at times, his movies feel a bit too musically for me. Mm. Um, he has that. And but... if I would say something mean, uh, as, as a corollary to your point about Wes Anderson, is that he's the poor man's Wes Anderson. Will well, the Australians hate me for that? They will, but this is why we're here. We're dropping, if nothing else, extremely controversial thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think but it's fair. It's fair. Acclaimed director, despite not having won Oscars, he's been nominated for them. So acclaimed, uh, definitely. I would, I would actually say his star is still rising somehow because Elvis mm. is probably the most commercially successful film he's done, I would imagine, or close to it. So, I think Gatsby because it was just in cinema longer. Australia yeah. was big at the time, and I think Moulin Rouge as well. I mm. mean, he yeah, doesn't. He, they, he seems to big. not work often in yeah. terms of feature yeah, yeah, films, yeah. but when he does, they seem to be hits. He is one of those. Um, yeah, I liked Elvis, but I think I liked Elvis a lot because our guy there, Austin Butler, I thought did quite a a good impersonation of Elvis. You gotta love the impersonations, yeah. Yeah, 100%. as you as, as we you do. do. So, yeah, that's that's Baz Luhrmann. I think other honorable mentions here, uh, we had George Miller, Mad Max. And that, that's kind of where it ends, right? He did Fury right. Road and, and the original Mad Maxes, but that's kind of the beginning and end of the George Miller discussion, which is no small feat, right? These are great, right? super Huge unique. Hit. And we like uniqueness, right, in these in these ratings. Absolutely. I think Fury Road. He did do Fury Road, right, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. he did Fury Road. Phenomenal. So, like, even if it was just that in his whole directing wheelhouse, I'd be like, well, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan again. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. And then uh, Chris Noonan, Babe. You remember Babe, the the little piggy? Funny enough, I was brought to Babe as a child and slept through most of it. Okay. And then because I was upset about having slept through it, so I was brought again and I slept again through oh, Babe. And I took that as a sign and I've never seen the movie Babe, actually. Okay. I we, slept through it too many times. We had the VHS. Ah, well, there you go. So, uh, but I don't remember it, so. Nobody does. This no, is the thing. Exactly. It's very forgettable. Everyone remembers That'll Do Pig at the end, you know. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the whole rest of it, I don't know. No. We might have to revisit that, yeah. to, to be fair to uh, Mr. Uh, Noonan. Exactly. Yeah. The only other director I wanted to drop in was Peter Weir for The Truman Show. Yes. Another weird example, a bit like um, a bit like Shawshank, where it's kind of a one and done. One and done, yeah. One hit wonder. A theme yeah. here, actually. Yeah, like lightning striking once and once only. Like The Truman Show is an absolute masterpiece. Another school uh, introduction for many people, you know, they see yeah. it as part of their schooling. A but film school piece, I would say. Even, also, right? also, yeah. but so rewatchable. And it's one yeah. of those, actually very like Shawshank that if it's on at any point and you walk into the room you will just sit down and watch it mm. I think it's so good peak Jim Carrey unbelievably so I mean that and Eternal Sunshine were his his two right. big, big hitters I would say right yeah but so for that alone I would say so for these big hits when you when you pull those movies together maybe not the names of the directors but more so the likes of Romeo and Juliet Great Gatsby Moulin Rouge Australia Mad Max Babe The Truman Show these are like pretty impactful movies on the world stage you would you'd be hard pushed to find somebody who doesn't know of any of those no that's true but let's let's crack on right because the, we we give a score on all of these things right exactly. directors and actors exactly and maybe that brings us on to actors we have what what you've described here in our notes as the 1990s actor boom yeah it seemed like a lot of these came out in the 90s some still going but paul haugen Crocodile Dundee, where there, there is a second, I think it's a second, maybe it's even the third, called Crocodile Dundee in New York. Uh, did you ever see impact. Crocodile Dundee? Never saw a single oh, no. one. Okay. I'm sure I'd like it, but I thought Steve Irwin was a, a, a good substitute for never seeing Crocodile the Dundee. The Crocodile Hunter. Different styles. Exactly, but, but still, yeah. very yeah. much playing into yeah, the, the established uh, Absolutely. brand there. Um, but Crocodile Dundee, Neil, is the highest ever grossing Australian production. Yeah, and... That is both interesting and also a little bit of a downer. Mm. Like that Australian cinema hasn't ever surpassed right. the heights of Crocodile Dundee. All right. Then we have Nicole Kidman. Huge. Known to have been the ex-wife of your mentor and a friend from the Church of Scientology, Tom Indeed. Cruise. Indeed. We won't hold that against her, though. Everyone no, makes exactly. Yeah. Tony Collette, who I didn't know was Australian. Hmm. I get a lot of these as well, don't you? Yeah. Even Margot Robbie, you kind of think... Wait, Australian? Really? Right, exactly. Yeah, but exactly. Tony Collette, because I've always seen her in films where she either has a British accent or an mm, American. Exactly. Uh, she's been very active in series the last few years. Incredible um, uh, yeah. accentologist, actually. One of our uh, patron saints of the podcast. Actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Tony Collette. Um, Eric Bana, who I... Also d- shocker, yeah. Do you rate him as an actor? Yeah, I mean, good stuff. I need to watch, like, he's in Munich, I think, right? Munich. He's, in, yeah. he's like the lead in Munich, yeah. yeah. need to watch a few more of his work. But he's a comedian by trade, right? I right. Think that's how he started yeah. off. So, yeah, another one, another example, actually. Right, of exactly. Of turned actor. But here we have some big names, right? Yeah. You want to hit it? We have people like Jeffrey Rush, parts of the Caribbean master himself. Legend of the game. Heath Ledger, come on. R.I.P. Or oh, even that enough is that that alone is enough to boost this up a, a mm. point or two. Hugh Jackman, come on, the sex symbol of the last twenty years, you could say. One of one of yeah. the top ones, Kate Blanchett, from Tar this year. I mean, yeah, Kate Blanchett, the Meryl Streep of her generation. Absolutely, Kate Blanchett, yes, massive, and Russell Crowe for one. 
Russell Crowe. Interesting you should mention Russell Crowe because when we asked our listeners who their favorite Australian actor slash actress is, most of them selected Russell Crowe. I don't blame them because he had from Gladiator to A Beautiful Mind all the way down to State of Play, one of the best runs in cinema history for a leading man, like eight, ten years. Neil, what if I told you, though, that Russell Crowe is a bloody Kiwi. He's from New Zealand. It's unfortunate. He doesn't... And this is where we need to make some rules, right? Because there's actually a lot of beef about this. Because mm-hmm. Australia claims him as a national treasure. Mm-hmm. They do the bidding for him. He's in all the marketing. But they don't give him citizenship. Yeah. So he uh, moved to Australia from New Zealand, I think, when he was about four. Lived there mm-hmm. about 10 years. Moved back to New Zealand as hmm. a teenager. Till he was 21, where then he came back to Australia to kickstart his cinema career. Makes sense. Um, does a lot in Australia, also owns a, owns a rugby league team, etc. Uh, but what he claims is he applied for Australian citizenship twice, and they denied it both times. Wow. Now, the Australian immigration services, or whatever we want to call them, came back and said he's never actually applied. So it's his word against theirs. Mm. I'm inclined to take his, considering how unprogressive the Australian immigration authorities have been this Mm. century. Uh, But it's kind of like, what do we do here? Because if we include them in the Australia conversation, we can include them in the New Zealand one. And the Kiwis will be more hurt by that. It's because what are we really recognizing here? He grew up in Australia, right? Slash, right? Because when you... Yeah, but then you could say he came of age back in New Zealand because he was 14 to 21. Oh, it's such a tricky one. It's even trickier in sports where they've benefited from, say, like the sporting infrastructure of a certain country. Right. I would say no matter what, we just can't let these kind of people influence the score too much. <laughs> kind of, these kind of people. Don't these, let them into our country. Riffraff, build a wall. No, I just mean um, they should be, you know, extra credit maybe, you know, but right. they shouldn't be like part of the fundamental score. We had this a bit with Mexico as well. And I'm, I'm yeah. feeling like it's worth recognizing them. And of course, I would be absolutely out of line to hold it against all the many Irish people who have moved abroad you know so and if we were evaluating Ireland so first and foremost I think let's let them impact but not give them the the brunt of the scoring you know what I mean okay fair that's where we are with with actors and actresses yeah I think so and solid yeah and I really don't think he's going to change the score that much but let's see let's see that's actors, right? We have we had, of course, many, many, many more actors and actresses that we could recognize. But these were the big hitters, I think, that were, that are household names around the world. Yeah. I had a couple of other quick TV things to throw in. And I feel like I may be out on my own here because I don't think these will have connected with you quite as much as they did me. No. And it might have been because Ireland and maybe the UK as well in the 90s just imported a load of Australian TV mm. and shoved it in our faces. So yeah. I was exposed to the likes of, first and foremost, Bananas in Pajamas. Love it. Did you see that? No, just the name of it. Oh, it's, I love it. It's, it's exactly yeah. what it sounds like. It's yeah. about two bananas who are in pajamas. <laughs> pajamas. Uh, their names are B1 and B2, and they are just fantastic bananas. Okay. Live action, full full costume. It's like Sesame Street vibes, you know. Uh, amazing. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? B1? I think I am B2. Was their, was their catchphrase. Oh, wow. Fen- That's phenomenal. a bit like our dynamic it here actually, on the I was going to say, yeah. I would listen to a Bananas and Pajamas podcast. <laughs> Uh, separate to that, though, uh, and for a bit of an older audience, there was Home and Away and Neighbours, the power duo of Australian soap operas. These I know. Yeah. yeah. Now, these were huge in Ireland, like religious watching. 7 mm. p.m. on a weekday, it was like it okay. was Home and Away time. Yeah. It was massive. And Neighbours, a bit bigger, I think, in the UK, but still huge, huge popularity yeah. abroad. 
which again getting back to the point here it's like impact outside of the country itself right which so. then inspired those films bad neighbors with actually the australian actress who i can never remember her name and seth rogan and that Zac may Efron. or may not be true and i'm not going to uh, <laughs> mount a counterattack right now on this one i'm gonna let that one slide but in any case neighbors a big soap opera i wasn't trying to make a joke no i'm, I'm sure it's uh broadly true i just yeah. i don't have the mental wherewithal to uh, prove you wrong right now fair Fair. And there's one more that I definitely want to shout out also for the listeners who may not know about it is a one and done series called Summer Heights High. Historic. Amazing. Now, I don't know where you get it. I don't know where you'll find it on streaming. I don't think it's readily available. You might have to do something uh, creative to find it. But it's if you've seen it, right? Or? Yeah. 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 Chris Lilly at the height of his powers playing three different main characters in one show and nailing each and every one of them. It's especially for an impressions uh, fan such as myself. This is uh, peak, peak impressions. If you saw Norbit with uh, Eddie Murphy in 2007, mm. 2008, this kind of the better version. Yeah, it's like that done well, basically. <laughs> Chris Lilly knows how to uh, how to play a ridiculous character, but make it believable rather than ridiculous, yeah. you know? Unbelievable. Big so, Chris. Huge, huge shout out. And we might come back to Chris later, but in any case, that brings us to the end of film and TV. And as predicted, this was a big, chunky topic. We had a lot to get yeah. through. Where are you feeling in terms of a score? I'm thinking really good contributions here. Uh, some successful ones also. Uh, household names, especially in the actors, a bit in the directors. But in terms of uniqueness, I mean, they're producing some great actors. But every mm-hmm. country, especially English-speaking countries, produce some great actors. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, here we're looking at a country with quite a sizable TV and film industry. Mm-hmm. 26 million people living there. Did they do enough? I would. I'm leaning towards a two, which is significant oh. in terms of uniqueness oh or God. success. Two. Um, my God. Keeping in mind, yeah. maybe we sum up for the listeners. Sweden rounded out to a two point five. Mm-hmm. Japan four point five, driven very much by you and your friend uh, Kurazawa, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And Mexico a two point five. Mm. I think a two is too harsh here because it might be. You have That's some really. of the absolute biggest hitters in the in the world of acting, plus some of the globally most popular directors. Mm. And on top of all of that, you just have some great films. You have some great TV shows. I am leaning more towards a four on this one. I know it's not a five. It's definitely not a five. However, I'm also four. Yeah, I know I can, we, I can go three, but I can't go four. Highly influential on a global scale. That's what we call a four. Highly influential. Yeah. Because re- okay, let get me- rid of these films and Baz Luhrmann, mm. and you just have some really good actors Nicole- plus Kate Blanchett, who yeah, will so become Blanchett, the goat. Massive Heath Ledger, Hugh Jackman, Jeffrey Rush, Nicole Kidman, <laughs> Russell Crowe-ish, and yeah. it's not going to swing me the way. Let's let's remember. Forget Russell. So okay, I would be willing to settle for a three. However, I'm also conscious that you're going for a two, so I don't want to. Uh... No, no, I can go three. Ooh, so we're going to agree on the three. Unless you play strategy and you go four, so yeah, they end up with a 3.5. No, I think if it comes out with a three, it puts it ahead of Sweden and Mexico, which I think is more than fair. Yeah. And it doesn't quite bring it to Japan. And I feel Japan may have been the benefit of going first and therefore, you know, getting some pretty yeah. inflated scores here on film and TV. Maybe, maybe. But in any case, I, I could settle for a three here. So it's threes all around on film and TV. Fantastic. So let's move into our next category, Neil. What I'd like to propose for this one is cuisine. Let's do it. So, Aussie cuisine, huh? Mm, yeah. Where to start other than Vegemite? 
<laughs> where to end i mean well, sorry to australians but uh vegemite is not something i've tried i know it's a love it hate it thing i i neither love it nor hate it because i just haven't tried it probably won't ever try it to be honest when we're talking about i've tried it mm. um by the end of a stay in australia i actually acquired the taste okay. and i didn't mind having it on my toast every morning on my mm. burnt toast every morning yeah it says it all though the fact that you haven't tried it but you know it in terms of its pop culture significance and true. uniqueness. That is true. Uh, and that if there was a joke about Vegemite while you're watching a program from the UK or the US or Australia, yeah. you would get it. I think it, that's a very good point. And I think they lead into that themselves, the company. I think their TV ads were all around love it or hate it kind of. Right. So smart branding, smart advertising so, for sure. And that's the thing about this category, right? It's not all about is their cuisine as good as mm. Mexico's or Japan's, which listeners both got a five out of five on this, That's right? True. That's true. Uh, but it is also about, you know, the influence of it. It's what kept Sweden afloat to a two on this category yeah. because of their Swedish meatballs and gingerbread cookies. That is true. So let's get getting away from taste altogether. Influence, yes, I can recognize Vegemite for sure. I can also recognize Weetabix slash Wheatbix, as it's called in Australia. Yeah. Not to be confused. Weetabix. I've had many an argument with Australian people about this later to discover that I was wrong. So, of course, the correct uh, story, once and for all, is that Wheatbix came first. It was invented in 1920, and it was only sold as Weetabix in Europe. Now, same people involved, same inventor. However, Wheatbix did come first. So, I'm not going to claim that Weetabix was the OG wheat biscuit. Okay. Okay. I, by the way, eat Weetabix every day of the week. Okay. Except for Saturday and Sunday. When you make scrambled eggs. Exactly. You and you it. make sure to keep the eggs running while they're in the pan. Walking. Walking. <laughs> it Come was on. walking, not running. Come on. That's, that's why I haven't been able to replicate your recipe. Exactly. You're trying to get them running out of the pan. <laughs> Doing it wrong. Disaster. So my daily breakfast, Weetabix, I definitely have to give a huge shout out. Yeah, Weetabix. That's great. Um, Big barbecue culture. They also barbecue some local delicacies like kangaroo, crocodile, emu. I tried all of them. Mm. Um, fair fan, but, you know, just me. Yeah. You wouldn't go out of your way. And again, right. we're not here to uh, to rate the food. We're here to rate it. Right, exactly. Right? So cool. Um, we yeah. love that. So, I, I saw a, a throwaway that pavlova potentially was invented in Australia, or at least is very popular. Pavlova and, the cake. Yeah, the dessert. Yeah. Okay. The kind of... Uh, Crispy, sugary kind of thing okay. yeah, with fruit in it. All right. Potentially. It's, it, it, we don't know exactly where it came from, where right. it started, but at least it's been a big part of Australian uh, cuisine yeah. for a long time. It, it's good, but it's no cheesecake or tiramisu. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, where that really brings us, I think, is we, you can already hear, listener, we're, we're kind of scraping in the bit of the barrel here already, because uh, and really my main point here is a bit like the country itself overall. It's less about inventing. They're, they're not there, you know, paving the way with new types of cuisine. Mm. More so, they have been a multicultural society for such a long time. There's been immigration, 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 Absolutely. all the way through. And what they have done is taken the cuisines of other cultures, older cultures perhaps, and refined them and mastered them, taking them to higher levels. And one of the areas, one of the, the types of cuisine that Australia is somewhat well known for is Asian fusion, for example, which is where they've just managed to, to combine, say, Chinese, Japanese, Thai, Indian, what have you. So that's interesting. And I think that's the that's the most I can do here for, right. for Australia, which is to recognize how they've been able to bring on board, let's say, other types of cuisine. Yeah. I haven't been there, as I say, so I, I, this yeah. is all based on just research. But apparently that is the big thing. Yeah. And I think a big thing when we look at this, for example, when we benchmarked Japan and Mexico as fives, mm. not just in terms of the quality of the food, 
but their export significance. So being in any city in the world and having for sure a mm. place to get sushi and for sure a place to eat Mexican. Not the case. Do you have Australian restaurants? There's what one, is that? There was one here that shut down, actually. Which tells you okay. a lot. Well, an Aussie yeah. barbecue joint. Yeah. There's also an Aussie bar here, I believe. That's more of an export, all right. But that's not... Yeah. I would not say They're that drinking falls into cuisine. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, so, I think we need to wrap this one up pretty fast. Also, in the interest of time. I'm leaning here really heavily on a, on a two and even considering a one. So, the only reason I'll give it a two mm. is significant in terms of uniqueness or success in mm. terms of the uniqueness side and yeah. the only reason for that is probably actually the vegemite that's generous mm. and if you're giving it for the vegemite i feel like i can give it for the weedabix okay so let's do that let's give it a two we agree on on twos all around on cuisine so australia off to a five out of a potential 10 to start okay. on the first two categories of film and cuisine it is tied with sweden for bottom on cuisine with right. a two yeah which i think is probably to be to be expected i think so i think so where would you like to go next i think as well to make some progress we're on a roll here let's let's just bash out another category and i think the quickest one from here is probably literature literature yeah. your favorite nail yeah this is at least for me shameful again like I'm sure, like, you can Google Australian uh, writers, and there's hundreds and hundreds of amazing ones. Some Booker winners, amazing one or two Nobel winners. Yeah. Amazing stuff. But remember, listener, this is the important point, point. This isn't fully objective, because we're reading it from our unique standpoint. And unfortunately, I can speak for myself in saying I haven't read one Australian book. Have you? Well, you have had them read to you. Have because I? Because oh Pamela Lyndon Travers wrote Mary Poppins ah, and go. she was Australian despite having spent most of her career in England mm, she was Australian another one of them yeah Mary Poppins Neil yeah yeah respect Poor pop culture man. icon indeed in, more to right. do with Julie Andrews though than, than the, the book but right, in any but case would there be a Julie Andrews there certainly would without uh, my friend here well, Pamela she, she would have done she would have done some other good stuff I'm sure but, but not Mary uh, Poppins not the, the bag with music. all the things the sound of music the sound in of any music case, yes on the plane in Spain indeed in any case Apart from Pamela Lyndon Travers' work on Mary Poppins, we have Thomas Keneally, who wrote Schindler's Ark, which I believe went on to become Schindler's List. Which inspired the film Schindler's List and was retroactively renamed. So that significant, considering this is one of your new favorite films, since you were about 30 years late to that party. Absolutely, but it is my favorite film, not my favorite storyline, right? So I'm saying I love the the film. It's a great story, Mm. but not because of the great story. It's great because it's a masterfully made, acted, directed, shot, lit, scored, all of that, right? But the influence here. I know, I know. It's the influence is there. And would there be a shame to exist without it? No, probably not. So I have to recognize that. Then again, I haven't read it. So I can't I can't I can't say it's impacted me all that much, right? I'm sure I didn't know about it till we were researching this. But on the other hand, yeah. Bloody hell mate. Bloody hell mate. We've got a up our of our game on Australian literature exactly um, yeah the, the only other one though that always comes up when you there's multiple lists of you know the top ever books and look who it is once again it's the true history of the Kelly Gang the book not the movie which turned out to be the first movie ever but the book by Peter Carey the true history of the Kelly Gang apparently is a really really well written okay. book and actually probably a big part of the Kelly mythos of why right. Kelly has gone on to become such a global uh, phenomenon yeah. So I think that, that one I can give a bit of a shout out and I'm determined to go and read that book. So you have my word. I will go and read that one. At least. And you'll provide a full report to our listeners on a bonus episode. Book report. Absolutely. Um, so Neil, that's that's about all we have on literature in terms of the highlights Shameful. from Australia. Shameful stuff, really. But listener, look, this is what you signed up for. This is what you get. This is what you get. And uh, Australians, 
win a few more Nobel Prizes. I mean, yeah, bookers, anything, yeah, whatever yeah. you want, like just get in there, put in some write, effort, write a bit more, huh, write, guys? Write fancy. How about yeah. that? Yeah. So Neil, uh, I'm afraid that you're leaning towards something very, very low here. Yeah, it starts with a an O and ends in an E. It's is, a, that, is that a one from you? Are you locking me, that in? Sorry to say, yeah. I'm gonna say it's a two for me because of Mary Poppins fine, fine. Uh, carrying this, which rounds us out to a 1.5 on literature from Australia. Oof. Uh, not so hot at the moment for the Australians. Uh, we were very much looking forward to this episode, but up to now, out of a possible 15 points, mm. the Australians have 6.5. Oh, okay, but we'll just wait because it's all about to turn around There's now. some bangers coming. Huh? Oh, there absolutely is. I think without further ado, that, that cues us up nicely for something positive. So I think let's get into music. Let's do it, Neil. Um, and I'll let you get started, as you're someone that keeps his foot jammed firmly between the door that separates us mere mortals. Third time, third time in our history, you've used that <laughs> phenomenal phrase. And it never gets old in a row. Indeed, and never gets old. It genuinely doesn't. But in any case, loads to talk about in music. I think starting with folk classics. First of all, waltzing Matilda. Who doesn't know that melody? I love it. I think anybody growing up in, in an English-speaking background knows Waltzing Matilda. Absolutely. One less well-known, and I might need your help on this one, is Timey Kangaroo Downsport. That is Timey Kangaroo Downsport, Timey Kangaroo Down. So that's, you know, you're, you're, you're out on the veranda, summer in Australia, shrimp on the barbie, and you're all singing that. It's... Uh, now you've fallen in, you have just fallen into sir a classic trap of Australian uh, stereotype which is shrimp on the Barbie yes okay it wasn't you shrimp know, but there was a Barbie you know yeah there is a Barbie but you know as well as I there is no shrimp on there the Barbie, is no shrimp on that Barbie I'm sorry uh, but so folk tunes there's a there's a, there's a very uh, strong tradition there yeah and gotta pour some out and re- represent respect I should say that now how about these big names in country music Olivia Newton John of Greece fame rest also, in peace recently. RIP, and Keith Urban. Keith so, Urban, huge yeah. country singer. So country, it, and remember, this is not where country music originated. So Australia has had to really join the party late and mm-hmm. produce some uh, some absolute bangers from yeah. the country music scene. But so I think play. Keith Urban is probably one of the, the highest grossing uh, country music recording artists ever. Exactly. Yeah. I think he's definitely in the discussion for top five, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And I think just separately, Olivia Newton-John, like, come on, just for Greece alone, that's outrageous. And her performance is unreal, not just the singing, but like, I think she did a great job acting all the way through. Yeah. Questionable morals about the ending of the of the of the show Greece, but like, that's not okay. on her, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold that against her. Okay, that's well, for another that's a episode. Take. That's for another episode, I think. Uh. <laughs> um, but in any case, big respect there. Another one, children's music. Now, people like to you know make fun of children's music as being not serious, not real music, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you cannot. And I, I would demand people show respect to the Wiggles in particular. The Wiggles have earned 17 gold, 12 platinum, 3 double platinum, and 10 multi-platinum awards, selling over 17 million DVDs and 4 million CDs. That is no joke. And that's a lot of money for those Wiggles. And that's a lot of DVDs. 100%. Now, I doubt they're selling many these days, but I'm sure they're streaming away. To, they're, uh, I'm sure they're doing just fine. To um, the smaller. And, and again, this... This, I think, is so important to, to emphasize, which is that like children's media in general is such a goldmine if you can do it well. Yeah. Because kids have no sense of boredom with something. If they like it, they will just watch it on repeat. Very honest as viewers. As soon as it ends. Yeah, as soon as it ends, they'll go back to start and watch it. So you get such devoted listeners from it. And I think yeah. uh, the Wiggles really cracked it. And they I, were they're omnipresent. I think you could go as far as to say they are the best 
group of creepy middle-aged men making music for children. Absolutely. Which is a, a huge category, as huge we know. Huge market. But nobody does it better than the Wiggles. I Professionals. Absolutely. Now, separate to the Wiggles and their work on, on kids' music, we have some rock and pop legends also. Now, the biggest one that comes up is ACDC. It's Whoa. got to. You're going to... Already, there's some listeners who just spit their coffee out all over the room yeah. hearing the ACDC. Scottish ones. Exactly. Now, my understanding is they formed in Australia. Yes. The boys immigrated, I think, when they were maybe like 10 years old or so. Yeah. The the two brothers, the, the young brothers, to Australia. Yeah. So There you go. I think that's more... The group is Australian. Exactly. And I think this is one where we can give them basically all of the credit of being yeah. Australian. I think. Yeah. Happy to be proven wrong. But I've never, until we were researching this episode, I've never thought ACDC, are they Scottish or are they Australian? They've exactly. always been an Aussie band for me. Yeah. yeah always. Yeah. I actually never, I weirdly enough, never really placed them. Like, I always kind of thought, yeah, you know, they're in that kind of same right. area as those other big bands, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know why I never really thought Australia specifically. But now mm. that I know, I'm uh, hugely impressed. Uh, you have other big names like InXS, you have Savage Garden, Kylie Minogue, sorry, and Danny Minogue to a lesser extent, but Kylie Minogue is huge, no? Yeah, still is to this day. Like, shocking longevity of her career, putting yeah. out bangers. She had one as recently as a few months ago, I Still think. touring, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, Savage Garden, though, massive mm, shout out. I mean, yeah, yeah, that yeah. early turn of the century love pop. Yeah. You, you remember it? Kind of. I'm, I'm just kind of making sure Truly, I'm, I Truly, madly, right. deeply. The yeah, song, yeah. I wanna stand with ah, you beautiful. on a mountain. It's good you sang it because yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have copped it otherwise. Yeah, they're they're huge. Their discography is only sadly two albums, but um, massive, solid gold. They they were actually named um, as one of the Q150 celebrations as one of the most uh, influential artists of Queensland in in their history. Yeah, and they were number twenty eight in Rolling Stone's fifty greatest Australian artists of all time. Massive. Okay. Wow. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah. And of course, it would not be a discussion of Australian music without mentioning the men at work. If we could play it, we would play it for you right now. If if we weren't under copyright (laughs) restrictions, we would be blaring it. Maybe, listener, you can go blare it in the background as you listen to this episode. But yeah, Land Down Under is is a banger. And that's not the only one. They are not a one-hit wonder, remember? Who can it be now? I mean, there's a whole catalog there. We talked about that, yeah, in the the One Hit Wonders episode. Yeah, Yeah. true, true, true. And uh, separate to men at work, sorry, by the way. One more, one more. Yeah, go for it. Well, sorry, two two big ones, Tame Impala and Sia, who I think they're a bit modern, maybe not your wheelhouse, Sia or Tame Impala. Yeah, one of yeah. the best voices of uh, of this day and age, I exactly. would say. Amazing. The Cape Blanchett of Australian singers. How about that? Absolutely huge. Now, one more, Bee Gees. I know what you're thinking. Are they Australian? So this is another one where... Yeah, I'm confused now. Apparently, when you, when you do the Googling, as we have been doing... Yeah. You have to kind of double check where exactly these lads are from. Uh, they apparently spent some time in Australia or they formed initially there. It's all a little bit uh, unclear. That's the key. I think the Gibbs are originally from the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a few angry listeners there yeah. uh, of our huge community of LI peers in the Isle, in of, the Man, Isle of Man if yeah. we give this to the Aussies. 100%. But I believe that they formed the group before immigrating to australia so to confirm they formed the group the rattlesnakes in 1955 in charlton manchester and then realized that with that name they couldn't go anywhere that was doomed from the start let's (laughs) let's be real they then moved to redcliffe in the morton bay region of queensland Mm. and later to crib island and then they became the Bee Gees, and then they returned to the uk 
So, okay, it's a stretch to say that they are an Australian group. But, you know, Australia was a, a, a crucial part of their story, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not going to say they're Australian, but at least, you know. I always thought they were from Massachusetts because they have a song called Massachusetts. There you go. Yeah. How, how easily fooled we yeah. often are with these... Uh, with these musicians. Uh, unreal. Do we include them or not, BGs? Let's just say like... A sprinkle. A, a, yeah, bonus bonus uh, fact. You know? All right. So I think that covers music to a decent extent. Well-rounded, uh, yeah. I'd say, in terms of music. What are you leaning towards as a score here? It's tricky, isn't it? Considering the music goat at the moment is Sweden with a five. Yeah. And that was ABBA, highly highly influenced by ABBA. Which but is, also all their production work and then all yeah, the DJs, yeah. uh, etc. No, nah, it's not even... Hmm. I know I was very positive here, but it's just not even... I don't know if it's even a four this one. Or Aussies, yeah. I'm, I would love to end up this one on like a 3.5. So for that reason... Because <laughs> I know we don't do half scores, but I do think on a good day I could see it as a four, this one. So highly influential on a global scale. You give it a four. Yeah, because Mexico got a three and we have we had mariachi and we had... That was kind of it, right? On yeah. Mexico. Okay, look, I think if we look at the success across genres, because if I include the Wiggles, yeah. Keith Urban, Olivia Newton-John on, on the countryside, mm. ACDC on rock and pop, I will... M- you were, you were what so is a close. three? A three is somewhat significant in terms of uniqueness and success. And success How yeah. did Mexico end up with a three on this category? I think Mariachi got a huge... Mariachi? Yeah. Oh, Carlos Santana had a big also, push. If Carlos also. Santana has that much influence, ACDC has to have even more. 100%. I think it's That's got a, a four. That's a four. Lock four it on in. music. Australia staging, attempting to stage a comeback Huge here. Com- well, they haven't got a five so far, and I don't know if they will, but in any case. 11.5 out of 20 so far. A passing grade in Ireland. Um, indeed, so Indeed. Well, well above 40%, <laughs> which well is a passing grade. average. Uh, 100%. And I think that takes us nicely into the final official category for today. Yes. Which is sport. Sport. Uh, I think right off the bat, I'm going to go out there and say it. One of the most iconic sporting countries mm. on earth. I see it. Maybe we've saved the best to last, actually. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, 14th all time at Olympic Games with 566 medals, 170 gold. Considering that the vast majority of those are Summer Olympics, they're mm-hmm. basically not participating seriously at the winter olympics How could they, yeah. uh, that's huge and then they compete on a high level and win at so many sports that's true cricket arguably the most boring sport in the world mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're one of the best at it why not leave them to it yeah, yeah. consistently beating the english at the ashes 100%, you know, 100%. that you and i watch together religiously, all the time. religiously. Uh, now, football-wise, they're not great, but they've been on the upturn. The Socceroos, they call them. That is a little gap in the armor, all right. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they are world-class on so many things, but right. soccer, just right. a little bit weak there. Yeah. But they make up for it by be, having been consistently world champions, both in rugby league and rugby union, Absolutely. men and women. 100%. That, that has been painful. Also, as an Irish rugby fan, yeah. in the last, say, 30 years, but since I knew what rugby was, Australia have been a little bit of a thorn in our side. They just outperform, especially on the world stage, especially in World Cups. They do so much better. All of the Southern Hemisphere teams do, but especially yeah, yeah versus, say, Ireland, we... We look on in envy at the, the rugby yeah. mastery. Now, we are, we, things have swung a little bit in our way since then, and yeah. maybe we're on the comeback, but have to give a big shout out to Australian rugby. It's been yeah. huge. Yeah. And rugby in general as a culture, it wasn't until I went to Australia that I appreciated. So I always grew up with football, European soccer, let's say, mm-hmm. and American football because I was in the US mm-hmm. and we never gave two cents about uh, about rugby, right? Mm-hmm. But the culture is great. And what they say, you know, the classic phrase also from Invictus with the South Africans, 
a hooligans game played by gentlemen. It mm-hmm. is very true in terms 100%. of sportsmanlike uh, conduct and everything. So I, I really, I really appreciate rugby. Yeah. Uh, also, league actually yeah. because of its higher pace, it was easier to get into in the beginning for me than union. Also, as a spectator, I think it's just right. that little bit more easy to to make sense of rugby union. If you watch it with someone who's never seen it before, you'll find yourself talking ninety percent of the time. Yeah, just being like, okay, so that was basically a turnover. So they're going to go back to the twenty-two, and then there's a drop, it, and it's just yeah. like, okay, excuse me, what? Like, yeah. it, it's. So confusing. Exactly. But that's neither here nor there. They didn't invent rugby, but at least they're massive in it. Excelling at it. What they did invent, yes, Aussie rules. The biggest spectator sport and the sport that has the most money in it in Australia. Uh, the no AFL. 100%. Men's and women's. Now, interesting, a bit like the GAA in Ireland, not to make everything about mm-hmm. Ireland, but it's one, of those, <laughs> it's one of those sports that is huge in the country, but doesn't quite get... The, uh, the audience abroad versus, say, like NBA or NFL or one of those right. things, right? The AFL really does stay within Australia. Localized. Borders, more yeah. or less. With the small exception of compromise rules where sometimes Ireland and Australia will play each other in a, in a mixed sport, which is like a mix of Aussie rules and Gaelic football. Okay. So that's cool. I like that. That's more of a novelty. How but close do Gaelic and Aussie rules get? Actually, it's, I would say similar only in the outfield kind of play and the scoring yeah. is so different. Okay. AFL the rules. Is, yeah, yeah, AFL is these like three different posts and you know all right. these things. Whereas uh, Gaelic football is just a goal with some sticks on the top of it, okay. and you can kick it over the bar or into the goal. Okay. But in any case, it is it is similar, and I'm sure there's some. Yeah. Uh, if you look into the development of a of Aussie fo- of, of Aussie rules, it's probably yeah heavily inspired by from, Gaelic from Gaelic football. Yeah. But in any case, massive and a cool cool. Always great to see a country own its sport and say this is our sport and nobody else plays it like right. we, like we do. So I like that. And they sell out every every weekend, every match day, stadiums yeah. from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand of capacity for this. Respect. In a country with also, by the way, that does the same thing for cricket and two different versions oh, of rugby. They love the sport like, though. Hundred percent. Yeah. That'll be interesting. And also let, let's come back to the per capita index on this because like the all the things we've mentioned, let's not forget the population is not like that high. 26, 27 million. Yeah. Like for such a large country in terms of landmass. I mean, of the countries we've done, the only one that's smaller than it is Sweden. Exactly. Uh, but Japan and Mexico both have a hundred million more people than Australia. Does. Exactly. So on sport and in general, I think we're going to find that Australia will punch above its weight on the per capita index definitely even if we've also been a little bit let's say low on, on some of the others right but we had a few more here we had olympics we just mentioned at the start with the with the olympic medals but yes yeah, swimming 212 olympic medals yeah and you remember when we were young the torpedo ian thorpe oh torpy yeah yeah. yeah 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 totally yeah the name rings a bell i when i yeah. when i saw torpedo written down i was like wait <laughs> what but uh no uh fair Mr. Thorpe. Yeah. Emma McKeown and Dawn Fraser. Yeah. Great, great female swimmers. swimmers so on that well, level, yeah. both, wow. I think, with at least eight Olympic medals. Uh, so 212 Olympic medals just in swimming. So jealous. This is another one where I wish Ireland had gotten our, gotten our yeah. act together. Yeah. And swimming actually is a sport you can develop in any country yeah. if you have the infrastructure of swimming pools. Yeah, exactly. And oceans which ireland you are surrounded you by think, a sea you are an you island would think there you go uh, yeah. but there you go and then um tennis actually uh now at the time of release of this episode it's about two weeks ago novak Djokovic was playing in the final of wimbledon mm-hmm. which he lost to carlos alcaraz had he won he would have matched margaret court's oh. record for all-time grand slam titles nice that she gets to hold on to it she's australian way. there you go so, I record. I love when an athlete has a name that's relevant to the sport they play as well. Beautiful, right? I love it. And Absolutely she didn't even have to change it. Just amazing. Uh, so Margaret Court 
by the numbers, best tennis player ever. Got it. And Leighton Hewitt as well. Comes, Leighton uh, Hewitt, comes Rocket Rod Laver before mm-hmm. him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They host the Australian Open every year, which might be the most fun Grand Slam, although it's hot. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so they are, with 166 Grand Slam titles, they're second to only the U.S. Yeah, this is big, actually. I think I'm, Men's seeing, and women's. Uh, I'm seeing a strength come through here, actually, for, for Australia. We yeah. had some lows all the way up to now, but I, I do think sport really does come through. Quite big strong. sporting country. 100%. Um, and, uh, and they do it nicely. Uh, so, big sporting country. Anything awesome. else to add on sport? Well, just one. And it seems like this is often my, my little uh, motorsport corner that I sometimes force into every episode I can. You got to. Motorsports. Danny Ricardo, as of now, as of the last few weeks, is back in Formula One with a seat at AlphaTauri. Nick DeVries Welcome having home. been punted unceremoniously out of the AlphaTauri team. Uh, so welcome back, Danny Rick. And Oscar Piastri, also Australian, is having an unbelievable rookie season so far in Formula One. Nicely done, Oscar. And you know what both of these lads have in common? Great banter. Danny Ricciardo, Oscar oh, Piastri, Italo Aussies. Ouch, yeah. I can see why you wouldn't be able to resist getting that in. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Big uh, Italian diaspora, actually, in yeah. uh, in Australia. Also big Balkan one, uh, etc. Irish also. Yeah. Irish, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, true, true, true. So both of those uh, Italian-Australian legends now paving the way through, through Formula One once again. Great to see Danny Rick back. A charisma machine. Absolutely. Just a lovable guy. So that really helps as well with my scoring here because I'm I, I think everywhere you look there's there's an Australian killing it in sports. Absolutely. Uh we've even had them in the in the NBA, I remember with Andrew Bogut, etc. They they medaled, I think, even at an Olympic. So look, a five, when we give that out, it means we cannot imagine a world without that country's contributions to that category. I, Neil, cannot imagine a world without Australia's contributions to sport. This is huge because if we give it a five, this will be our highest ever scoring sport country so far. That's That becomes the benchmark. I think we've been very generous with Mexico's four. Mm-hmm. I've gotten some fan mail about oh, really? that. <laughs> Japan got a four, not so much because of success, but because of the influence, Sumo, debatable. Yeah, Sweden yeah, yeah. had a three. I don't remember why. Uh, yeah, no, there, there was only like, we had some big names, but they, their impact on the world yeah. stage wasn't like so huge. I think, I think we've got to lock in a five here. Also, we haven't given them a five yet. So this is... This is huge. Yeah, but that can't be the reason. No, the no, reason is, I mean, um, they're a huge sporting country. They are, and I'm wanting to be even-handed in, in the ratings here. So I think when it's a five, it's a five, and this is this is a five. Fives all around. So we've wrapped up the five official categories before we get to the wild card. Mm-hmm. And out of 25 points, we are now at 16.5. Well, it's not all over just yet because... To reach the grand heights of second place, all they need is a five. Yeah, that's true. Because let's remember that Mexico and Sweden tied for second in 19.5. So they cannot beat Mexico, the Aussies, on the wild card, but they can come second. Am I right in saying Sorry, that? they cannot they beat, Japan beat Japan That's true. with a 22.5. Wow. That's my uh, La La Land Moonlight Oscars moment there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> But that, that means we have to jump into our wild card, right? Yeah, and uh, we both have a proposal, and then we can yeah. we can choose one. Maybe I'll score mine, you score yours, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. And mine is pretty quick. It's just that something that comes up a lot with us when we talk about Australia, and something I mentioned right at the start was the banter. Oh, the laughs, the lols. Some of the funniest people on Some Earth. Some of the natural, most naturally funny people on Earth. And I think if, if either of us had to say what's the funniest 
podcast out there currently of course it's hamish and andy without a question our colleagues literally a dangerous podcast to listen to in the gym because you could at any moment laugh and drop the weights on your head like it is that dangerous i've done it on my toes it's so genuinely i have to really concentrate when i'm when i'm doing a bench press or something because it's it's that dangerous but apart from those who are broadcasters comedians and broadcasters right but you have some great classic comedians as well Mm. so Jim Jeffries, Hannah Gatsby, Rebba Wilson, the actor who's oh yeah, she's great, has a background in comedy. Chris Lilly, who we mentioned from Summer Heights High, Adam Hills. We have Sammy J and Randy, who I had the pleasure of seeing once in Edinburgh. Okay, uh, amazing duo of uh, a standard comedian plus a puppet called yeah. Randy, and just an amazing, uh, amazing duo. But then the person I really wanted to give a shout out to here, who doesn't get enough respect, I think, in 2023, is Tim Minchin. Mm. Do you know Tim Minchin? Yes, Mario? I know Tim Minchin. Like a musical genius comedic legend laugh when when he pulls it together mm-hmm. as in as he used to less so these days but as he used to he's untouchable in the musical comedy genre i would say these days he's busy writing real musicals he wrote the matilda musical and won a bunch of awards right. for it. so you don't see him doing his uh, his old shtick so much anymore but legend of the game so for that reason i absolutely had to give a huge shout out to australian comedy and with all those names put to the side just the vibe like yeah When's the last time you met an Australian person where you came away thinking, oh, they were a bit dry, weren't they? Like, they were a bit dull. You just never, you'll never have that. They're always a bit of fun. They'll always be up for... A a bit bit of raunchy when it needs to be, you know. a bit of banter, irreverent, just kind of happy to make fun of themselves as well as other people. Absolutely. They give as good as they get. So I think uh, on this one, I have to give a really nice five. Wow. Okay. That's, so that that's how I would give my wild card. Let's see how this works because we haven't done we haven't done split wild card. A five before. for your wild card. Now here's my wild card: nature and wildlife. Mm. So I think in terms of significance and uniqueness, from a pop culture perspective, you look at just look at their animals. Mm. Where else do you get the kangaroo, the wallaby, the emu? That is that shades is true. of the crocodile. That is true. And even if you've never been to Australia, and especially as a kid. You admire these animals and you know exactly where to place them on the map. That's true. They are Big they are iconic, actually. Yeah. And for many people, in fact, synonymous with Australia. Yeah. Where you think Australia, kangaroo, straight yeah. away, koala, wallaby, all yeah. these things. And yeah. you th- you remember Steve Irwin, rest in peace, yeah. crocodile hunter. I remember Crocodile Dundee, also in New York, exactly. right? Exactly. Uh, then we've we've seen also Kangaroo Jack, like yeah. a horrible movie from maybe 0203. But, but still. why did I go to the cinema? Because there was a kangaroo with sunglasses and a hoodie on. His name was Jack. I think and his name was Jack. Of course it was. Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. We need to look that one up, actually. That, You've got that to has been to a, a strange gap in my knowledge. But yeah, I actually see your point that from a wildlife perspective, in particular, yeah. from and, animals. And yeah. the nature, so not just the, the wildlife, but the nature, arguably the best nature adventure trip you can have on Earth, also in terms of the diversity of that okay. continent. Okay. So uh, it's a five for me on my wild card. Wow. What a comeback from the Aussies. Oh, dear, yeah, because that'll bring them right up to... Uh... To 21.5. All of a sudden, Australia finds itself Whoa. on the podium contending for a silver medal, only dramatic. one point away from the Japanese with 22.5. That's outrageous. What a comeback. Because we were we were right down in the gutter there in, in the start, in the opening Big rounds. Time. Yeah. And, and it started with a mild three-on film. Hmm. A 2 on cuisine, a 1.5 on literature, it was going everything in the wrong direction, and then they clawed it back. With a 4 on music, a 5 on sport, making it the GOAT sport country at the moment in our pop culture country tier list. And then rounding out with a 5 on the wild card. A 
I think that's fair though because it's for some reason the categories that we should, that we follow music, film, TV, literature, cuisine, sport they don't do Australia justice really you know right. and it wouldn't be fair I think to walk away without having dropped in the, the wild card that we did absolutely so I think we've done them justice here Australia second on on the podium congratulations in the and I now. would guess probably second in the per capita index as well yes we haven't, we haven't done the math on that but I, I would guess they're not quite Sweden level but they are Yes, definitely, definitely ahead of Japan and ahead of Mexico. Exactly. So, how do you feel? Delighted, actually. The, yeah. one, the only regret I think I have, thinking back now on the hour, is we didn't give enough respect to Steve Irwin. I think he. Let's do that now. Well, you know, you can say a lot about his style and how he was, you know, and it's not for everyone, let's say. Personally, I think he's amazing. I just love his ridiculous over-the-top mm-hmm. energy, his enthusiasm. And for me, when he was alive, he was just like one of those absolutely lovable figures and mm-hmm. representations of Australia. And I think it's just really sad that that he died so young and so unfortunately in such a freak accident doing admittedly his job and what he mm-hmm. was known for and what he loved. But like we he had a lot more, I think, to, to give. Definitely. You know? I mean, he's been dead, I think... He must have died uh, not 20 years ago, but 15 or so now. Yeah, it feels yeah. very recent still. And I yeah. know his son is still up to some good stuff. Following it's, in his footsteps. Yeah, yeah. but I just think you can't, you'll never truly get another Steve Irwin. He was, he was kind of yeah. one in a million. Revered, yeah. loved, appreciated the world over. Exactly. So I think it was a shame that somehow he, he came up a bit in film and TV, but he, he almost needs his own section, Steve. So I think uh, just a big, huge shout out to, to Steve Irwin for being someone who probably for a lot of people was something that ignited their interest in wildlife and animals or nature or absolutely what so i think uh, just a huge huge character and uh, a great figure to to wrap up this episode on perhaps absolutely and you can visit the australia zoo in queensland i had an emotional moment when i did it's his zoo ah, yeah it was it okay that was yeah. his kind of home then. the house that steve built yeah it's wow. uh yeah, yeah. Definitely, Someday, definitely when, I, when I get down to that part of the world, down I, under. I'll make it part of the trip. Yes. For sure. And look at that. We got through an hour without doing too much offensive Australian yeah. uh, stereotypes. Exactly. And we'll dedicate this episode actually to Steve Irwin, the right, crocodile right. hunter himself. 100%. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, listeners. And we'll hear you on the next one.